we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. This is Peter Bregan. I'm a physician, a psychiatrist. Yes, you were going to speak there. Yes. And this is Ginger Bregan. <laughs> you nearly cut me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been very hectic around here, folks. Oh, but by the way, there's been a lot of interesting information. Uh, this is America Out Loud Pulse, as I said, and the platform is America Out Loud. Ginger and I do columns on the platform. She is writing us up a storm. And we also have the Substack. Yes. And and you guess what it's called? It's Ginger Bregan Substack. But it's actually Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Bregan exposing the global predators is what it's named. And we're doing a lot of interesting stuff there. We've just done a report. Um, this is not about Ma, uh, Malone's suit against me directly, but indirectly, it is very much about it. The judge in the case, Judge Moon in Charlottesville, Virginia, in our case, was also the judge in Malone's um, case against the Washington Post. And the judge has uh, thrown that case out of court. And he has basically said it has no basis at all. And um, he told Malone that he wasn't going to charge him the Washington Post costs because the, this is in his official opinion, and you can find this on our Substack and on America Out Loud, because the disparity in wealth was so great between the Washington Post and, and him. But then he warned that other cases, and then he footnoted our case specifically, <laughs> and he footnoted a case against Twitter. He said if other cases persist, he may have cause to say they're frivolous, and that Malone will have to pay the costs of the um, people he is uh, making the suits against. This was quite extraordinary. It's going to be interesting to see what Malone does. Uh, as a sidebar, um, Dr. Malone has, uh, just before our hearing, before the judge on motion to dismiss this case, Malone uh told the judge, I think the day or two before... September 25th. Yeah, very recently, that he no longer had a lawyer, that his lawyer was in the hospital. We've seen various reports that he was uh, in a coma or a stroke. We don't know the facts. But the judge said, you knew about this for two months, so I'm not going to give you a three-month period in which to find a, uh, uh, a new lawyer. You have one month. So... Clouds are gathering over Malone's lawsuit. It's against us and against other people. And the one against the Post has been thrown out. I don't think I'll comment any further about it. Jen, do you have any thoughts? Uh, I just want to say that lawsuit is against uh, Peter and myself and Dr. Jane Ruby yeah, at yes. this point. Wonderful Dr. Jane Ruby. Yes, that's right. We're the remaining uh, folks. The, the remaining three defendants in that case. Thank you for that. I get so focused on what's being done to us, I uh, 
I never want to leave Jane out. No. Now, today our guest is Dr. William Mackis, M-A-K-I-S, and he's an MD. He's a Canadian physician with expertise in radiology, oncology, immunology, and he has something called the Governor General's Medal, University of Toronto scholar. He's written uh, 100 peer-reviewed medical publications. That's a few more than I have. And he's got 27,000 uh, subscribers. On his Substack. Wow. We're getting there, but... We're getting there. Yeah. We've got about 12,000 now, I think. Yeah, but we've got 40,000 on our... We've got 40,000 subscribers on our Brigham Alerts, which a, is the email alerts. And lots of other things going yeah. on. So I've heard Dr. Mackis on America Out Loud. I've read his stuff. He's a brilliant, courageous, honorable physician, one of the cutting-edge doctors. And I'm inviting him online there. Are you there? Yes. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, really. Um, I'm really glad to see you. He has a lovely face for those of you on the um, radio. He's got a big smile and... Um, a handsome young man. I guess he's young compared to us. I am, honey. Almost everybody is young compared to us now. <laughs> I'm afraid so, we have to own that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, begin anywhere you want, uh, Dr. Mackis. Um, tell us about yourself. Tell us about what you're doing. Sure. So I'm a Canadian physician based in Edmonton, Alberta right now. Um, I've I went to University of Toronto for my undergraduate degree. I have a degree in immunology, four years in immunology. And I did my medical training at McGill University, which was the best medical school in Canada for four years. And then I have a five-year specialization in radiology and oncology. <clears throat> and I've been mainly practicing as an oncologist, uh, diagnosing and treating cancer patients. And I'm also a cancer researcher with, with over 100 publications. I encountered a corruption in the Canadian healthcare system a few years before the COVID pandemic, and maybe fortunately so, you know, because that's maybe that allowed me to sort of be where I'm at today. But, you know, I've run into corruption in our system from the bureaucrats. Um, and I, I ran a very successful cancer treatment program for neuroendocrine cancer patients and stage cancer patients. We were curing them with targeted medical isotopes. It was called targeted radionuclide therapy where you know you would inject uh, radioactive uh, particles attached to uh, target molecules that would deliver the radiation directly to the tumor and would not affect surrounding tissue, had a very short half-life. So you would do damage to the cancer cells. You wouldn't do damage to surrounding tissue. And we found that it was curative in 85 to 90% of cases when it was a stage four cancer patient who was basically given a few months to live because they had failed every other treatment modality, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and so on. So we were extremely successful. Unfortunately, I was targeted by the Trudeau government and one of the provincial governments who decided to monopolize this technology a few years before the pandemic hit. And they are building huge multi-hundred million dollar facilities in Vancouver, British Columbia, in collaboration with University of British Columbia and BC Cancer. So um, I was forced into a semi-retirement because uh, I was actually targeted by my employer. I was put a big pile of money in front of me, about $400,000 to sign a non-disclosure agreement and basically leave the province and not never speak about what happened to my cancer program. 
And I refused. And, and after I refused, they confiscated my medical license, threatened my family, threatened my children, said they would never allow me to practice medicine again. And um, so that was my situation just before the pandemic hit. So when the mm-hmm. pandemic hit, I was actually able to be completely objective. I was able to approach the pandemic very objectively. I really didn't have any pressures from any employer. I didn't have any threats, you know, to my medical license or to my hospital privileges. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I've, I've sort of, I, I suppose I was fortunate that I was one of the few Canadian doctors who could really look at the pandemic in an objective manner without any kind of pressure. And what I saw was really something that wasn't that concerning in 2020. Um, you know, the case fatality rate of SARS-CoV-2 was very, very low. It, it wasn't affecting young people. It wasn't affecting children. And, you know, I, I found the lockdowns and the six feet apart and the masking. I found that whole circus very silly, but I was willing to put up with it for, for a year. And um, so I really didn't speak up during 2020 about what was going on. I thought it was going to blow over. And, uh, you know, then, of course, the vaccines rolled out. And I was very surprised that they were using lipid nanoparticles and mRNA uh, for the vaccine because, you know, I'd, I'd encountered these technologies in oncology where they had tried to use them to treat cancer patients unsuccessfully. And so I saw these as failed uh, cancer modalities and I was very surprised that they were repurposing them for for a vaccine. And then I was shocked that they were going to roll out the vaccines in everybody. I thought they would only roll out the vaccines in people who were at high risk of, of get, being hospitalized with COVID-19, which were people over the age of 70 in long-term care settings, people with complex medical issues or multiple comorbidities. I, I, I was really almost caught, caught off guard that they were going to roll out these vaccines in absolutely everybody. And, uh, you know, I told my wife, I remember back in spring of 2021, we saw people lining up outside of Superstore, you know, this grocery store that we we shop at. And I thought it was just pure insanity that young people would be lining up for an experimental vaccine outside of a grocery store. Um, you know, it really encapsulated the, the whole insanity of the whole thing. Uh, so we were never going to participate in that experiment. Um, but it was only when I realized that you know, they were rolling out the boosters in Israel, the boosters had failed in Israel, and now they were going to roll out boosters in Canada, they were going to, they were talking about vaccinating children, uh, then the mandates came, that's when I started speaking up online about the dangers of the vaccine, and really standing up against, I stood up against the vaccine mandates uh, here in Alberta, I was one of only 70 physicians who signed a letter demanding that the vaccine mandates be halted, and I was then threatened by the College of Physicians and Surgeons that they were going to put that on my permanent record, my opposition to vaccine mandates. And I've been battling this this battle against this COVID tyranny ever since. That is one of the best encapsulations of what happened in the world that uh, we've had presented to us. It's so clear. I was so hoping that you were going to say I had experience with these <laughs> that you would say that you had experience and knew about these uh, mRNA from the can- failed cancer studies, <clears throat> because that that was my understanding as well. But I've never heard testimony from an expert about it before. 
uh, who'd been there. And uh, that's what it is, folks. Uh, they're injecting failed cancer experiments into us. Um, that tells so much of the story. Ginger, do you have any thoughts well, there, at this point? Also, uh, <clears throat> in general, the mRNA uh, platform is still being discussed as a reasonable platform for cancer treatment, for other kinds of treatment, uh, when in fact it's been such a complete and utter failure and has caused such vast damage, including many, many deaths uh, in in the form of the vax, the COVID so-called vaccine, that uh, it really needs to be banned entirely until uh, there's a lot of examination of this and and uh, uh, and completely proven that it has any kind of efficacy and complete safety before it's ever reintroduced into human population. And very few people are calling for that. There are those amongst us even who are saying, well, it'll be better if a few things get tweaked and changed about it. And no, it's the basic mRNA slash DNA technology that needs to be completely suspended and banned at this point. And uh, I, I would like for it not even to be experimented on with animals. I love animals, but uh, that would have to be first long before anything happened with us. And it needs to be banned also in use with any animals at this point in terms of our livestock, our pets, and uh, wildlife, zoo animals. So that's our position that we've taken since I believe it was October of 2022, that this entire technology needs to be suspended and banned because it's just out of control. I'm of, I'm of the same opinion. Uh, I'm of the same opinion. I you know, I also take the position that, uh, you know, I, I naively believed, uh, at least when I first encountered this idea that they were going to roll out, you know, the lipid nanoparticles and the mRNA in everybody, I naively believed that they had somehow figured out all the problems <laughs> with with these platforms and that I was simply not aware of, of, of all the, you know, the latest developments that they had figured out. And you know, to my horror, uh, I've come to realize over time that that they had actually not figured out any of the problems um, with these platforms. The problems are still there. You know, the the the, the simple fact that the lipid nanoparticle uh, ends up systemic and then ends up delivering its payload to the you know the bone marrow, to the liver, the kidneys, to the heart, to the brain. Uh, to the ovaries, to the testes, um, that really this ends up systemically. And whatever it's whatever the mRNA sequence is that it's delivering, it's delivering a sequence that codes for a foreign protein that should not be delivered to healthy tissues uh, and to the bone marrow. It should not end up systemically because you're going to have the same problems, whether it's the spike protein or whether it's an influenza protein, whether it's an RSV protein, whether it's an HIV protein, Whatever the protein is that that will be coded, I believe the problems will be similar uh, in terms of the injuries and deaths that we've seen, you know, with the COVID nineteen vaccines. And so, I do believe that, um, you know, I can see an attempt. Well, well, first we're stuck in the situation where the medical establishment has a blanket denial of vaccine injuries and deaths. 
uh, across the board. And even though they're willing to admit to a few cases of myocarditis or a few cases of blood clots, they're really not willing to admit anything else, uh, uh, certainly not the extent of the injuries and deaths that we're seeing. Uh, and when it comes to something like like the cancers, the aggressive turbo cancers, there's a complete denial that such a phenomenon even exists. And you you have the scientists, Dr. Caracu and Dr. Wiseman, just awarded the Nobel Prize for an experimental technology that is causing injuries and deaths in thousands, millions of people. I mean, there's five million injuries recorded in the WHO, you know, VG Access database alone. Um, and we have this complete blanket denial that there's a problem with this with this platform and, and with this technology as they push ahead with new mRNA vaccines. Hundreds of them are in the pipeline, um, you know, and 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 it really is the entire platform that is that is the problem. Uh, and I think there's been way too much money invested. Uh, and way too many people have compromised themselves. They've compromised their ethics. And I'm talking about specifically about doctors and scientists who've compromised their Hippocratic oath to do no harm. They've compromised their ethics to push this experimental technology that probably the vast majority of them didn't understand at all uh, what this does and what the effects of this technology are. Uh, and everybody seems to be rolling ahead regardless of the carnage and, and the human cost uh, that has been paid so far. So I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it's the technology, the platform, the lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform is flawed. It is causing tremendous injuries and deaths. It should be taken off the market immediately. Um, and really, I don't see a situation where, you know, the, the benefit of this technology would outweigh the risk, certainly not at this time. Dr. William Mackis, Canadian physician, hero, one of the clearest clarion voices in the health freedom movement. We're going to take a brief break. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. And we're back. This is America Out Loud Pulse. This is Ginger Bregan and psychiatrist and physician, Dr. Peter Bregan. 
and we are on every Thursday on America Out Loud Pulse on the platform America Out Loud. 5 p.m. At 5 p.m. At East, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you. Um, The Pulse uh, airs five days a week, Monday through Friday. On Monday, physician Marilyn and physician and attorney Marilyn Singleton uh, is on the Pulse Hour at 5 p.m. She is a wonderful human being, a wonderful physician and lawyer. People ought to get acquainted to her. Her show is actually just full of life and science. It's wonderful. Yes. On Tuesday, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley are on at 5 p.m. on America Out Loud Pulse. And they are very courageous and outspoken physicians. On Wednesday... Dr. Vaughn helped save my life. Yes, he did. When I had COVID. Yes, he did. He got your uh, CT scan looked at for your lungs. Yeah. Um, On Wednesday, Dr. Peter McCullough is on uh, the Wednesday slot at 5 p.m. And of course, he really needs no introduction, but everyone loves Dr. McCullough. And he is a courageous and honorable physician. Uh, Thursday is our slot at 5 p.m. And then on Friday, Dr. Harvey Reich is on, who is a a wonderful and very brave. Esteemed professor. I think he's going into retirement. And epidemiology. And he's a medical doctor and an epidemiologist. So that's the lineup. Um, Peter, go ahead and. To put a point on what uh, Dr. Marcus is saying, um, in the past, if a um, vaccine looked like maybe there were some deaths, they took it off the market to study it. And Well, they did that with a lot of drugs. That happened with thalidomide way too late. Way too late. It did happen. Uh, but I'm talking about whether even suspicions, a contaminated batch, everything would stop. I'm talking about at the hint of deaths. Most vaccines have only a record of a couple of deaths or no deaths, some of the vaccines. By the time we got our book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, a near publication came out in uh, September, November of uh, 2021, there were over 10,000 reports to the CDC. We're talking about, as Dr. Mackis, William Mackis is uh, saying today, we're talking about catastrophic losses, like in a war, an epidemic. And most serious observers um, see that the vaccine is far more dangerous than anything that COVID ever, ever was. So we're looking- It's been an epidemic of the vaccine. That's right. Pandemic of the vaccine. Yes. And they're planning on more and more of this. We are in World War Three against this combination, as Ginger and I talk about, of the Western Empire, which is the Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, the, you know, the U.S. Uh, deep state and the U.S. president and the NATO, the powers, the deep state. I think I mentioned the powers in the West aligned in, in a, in a uh, treasonous manner with the Western Empire, the Eastern Empire, excuse me, of the Chinese communists under Xi Jinping. So this is what we're looking at, folks. I, I don't know, I actually don't know, uh, Dr. Macus, how much you've gotten into this yourself or 
or how that sounds to you, but I think that's what we're facing now. And you are very, very courageous in, in uh, what you're doing. Sir. Yes. I have one more thing to add about the subset of the um, mRNA marketing. I did some investigation into that. And this year alone, there's over $50 billion worth of various mRNA-based products that are in the pipeline. There are big conferences going on. There's huge marketing campaigns. Uh, I did a Substack about that, which uh, a, a column about that on our Substack and on America Out Loud. And it's we are going to face a tsunami of this technology being introduced into our bodies, into our environment, and into the foods that we eat. Certainly the animals, the uh, the pigs and the uh, beef and chickens and sheep, and I'm sure anything else you can consider, as well as wildlife and zoo animals, and don't forget our pets. I think maybe that might sadly be the biggest shocker or distress to many people <laughs> is that their beloved pets might be at risk. Uh, and it's true. They uh, they are at risk now. So I just wanted to make sure people understood the degree of the of the uh, wave of this product that's coming down towards us. When I was being critical of Prozac going back now uh, to 1991, 2, 3, 4, uh, it was hard to get human beings concerned about what was happening to other human beings. And then in Canada, they gave Prozac to a polar bear in the zoo. Do you remember that, Dr. Max? And there was outrage about it. <laughs> Damn it. Um, there's so many directions we could go. And do you want to talk about turbo cancer at this point? I think so. You know, I, I've been reporting sudden deaths uh, since the end of 2021. Uh, it, it started with with me noticing that Canadian doctors were dying suddenly uh, after taking their booster shot. Young doctors were dying in their sleep. And to me, I used to do cardiac stress tests as part of my practice. And, and this idea that a young person would die in their sleep was completely unheard of. Um, you know, the sudden adult death syndrome didn't really exist. You know, you did have sudden arrhythmic death syndrome. These would be one in a million deaths that would occur with someone who had congenital issues that were undiagnosed. Uh, but this idea that, you know, dozens and dozens of young people would go to sleep and never wake up. And and the only thing that they had was they had the COVID-19 vaccine recently. Uh, you know, that to me was a shocker. Uh, so as I started tracking the deaths of Canadian doctors who were forced to be vaccinated because we had vaccine mandates for all Canadian doctors and really all Canadian healthcare workers in the fall of 2021, and I started seeing these these sudden deaths of these young people, young doctors. And the more I looked, the more of these deaths I saw. And but it wasn't only cardiac deaths. And and so initially the profile was yes, you know most of them were cardiac deaths. You know you also had some deaths from blood clots, from pulmonary emboli, from strokes. But then there was a subset and a and a significant subset of very aggressive cancers. And cancers that caught my eye, you know, there was one hospital in Mississauga, Ontario, that had three doctors who died. Now, they said that they died of cancer within days of each other. I believe they the, all three died within three days of each other. And they died 
in the first week after the rollout of the second booster shot. And one was a doctor in his 30s had gastric cancer that had presented at stage four after two shots, and he died in less than a year. And another doctor of these doctors was a 40-something-year-old doctor who had a lung cancer that presented at stage four after two doses, and he died in less than a year. And really, that was my that was my red flag that that there's a there's something happening here with the vaccines and and cancer. Then and there's something wrong with these cancers. These are not cancers. These cancers are not behaving the way they should be behaving. Certainly not the way I would expect. And that began my journey. Uh, this was summer of 2022. That started my journey of of examining these aggressive cancers and vaccinated people. And of course, you know, the more you look, the more you see these tragic stories. Uh, there's thousands of them on social media. There's thousands and thousands of people reporting these extremely aggressive cancers showing up in the vaccinated. Now, these have been called turbo cancers. Uh, and the term turbo cancer is not a medical term, but it has arisen in the public domain to describe the aggressive nature and behavior of these tumors that are behaving completely differently than tumors that you know oncologists are used to before the vaccines rolled out. And so I've been reporting these cancers now for... Um, well, for the entirety of my Substack for the for the past uh, eight months, and it, what's fascinating is that you you start to see patterns as as a as as a radiologist and oncologist. You know, I'm used to looking at looking for patterns and looking at patterns and and seeing patterns where other people might not see them, and, and seeing certain behaviors. And what to me has has come out in terms of what these turbo cancers look like and behave like. They're showing up almost always at stage four. And that is a fascinating feature that they're showing up in young people and age groups where you wouldn't expect certain types of cancers to show up. So, for example, colon cancers or cancer carcinomas or breast cancers showing up in very young people in their 20s and 30s, and they're presenting at stage four. That is where they're being picked up initially. The tumors seem to grow very rapidly. They grow to large sizes and then they spread very rapidly as well. So uh, sometimes, you know, the oncologists will try, let's say it's a stage three tumor and, and the, the oncologists will try to surgically remove the tumor and they think they've gotten it because they've done the imaging and then they find out when they do imaging after the surgery that the, that the cancer has already spread and that they didn't catch it in time. Um, another feature of these cancers is that they seem very resistant to chemotherapy and radiation therapy, these sort of standard regimens that oncologists employ, you know, for the cancers that they know and they know how they behave. They deploy a standard chemotherapy regimen and it doesn't respond to treatment. And so the, the, the tumors that I'm seeing the most commonly are lymphomas. I'm also seeing extremely aggressive brain cancers. Uh, that are often inoperable, you know, depending on, on on their location. And then breast cancers, colon cancers, lung cancers, hepatobiliary cancers, testicular, ovarian cancers, uh, renal cell, and, you know, some melanomas and sarcomas as well. Uh, and also leukemias, and then the leukemias are the most aggressive of them, um, which I guess is to be expected, but they're so aggressive that uh, I've I've reported cases of of teenagers coming down with leukemias where they die a few hours after diagnosis. 
They'll feel sick. I've never heard of anything like that. Exactly. They'll they'll feel sick. They'll go to emergency. You know, they do the blood work. They discover that this child has leukemia. And really, before the doctors can do anything about it, um, start any kind of treatment regimen, they die in a matter of hours. And I've never seen this in my career where where diagnosis to death is a matter of hours or days. Uh, this is very a very aggressive progression that I've not seen before. And same thing with, you know, the brain cancers. And we know that glioblastomas are very aggressive. They have poor prognosis. But, you know, let's say, and you see this often in the stories, um, and you'll because the patients themselves are telling telling us these stories. It's not the doctors who are telling us these stories. It's the patients who are telling us the stories. And they'll tell us, my loved one was, was diagnosed with a aggressive brain cancer. They were given 12 months to live. They were given 18 months to live. They died two weeks later. They died a month later. How is it possible that the oncology team was so off in terms of giving a prognosis? You know, I mean, that's, again, unheard of. Um, that, you know, you would give someone a prognosis of one year and they're dead a week or two later. But this is what's happening with, with these with these turbo cancers. Um, it really seems that the oncologists are being caught completely off guard. They don't seem to know what they're dealing with. And, and I have not seen any indication from any of the stories that I've, I've read from patients that the oncologist was making a link between the vaccine and the the cancer, the aggressive cancer that arose maybe a few months after the the last vaccine dose. And what's fascinating when you even even when you look in the literature, one of the first cases published uh, by uh, Goldman uh, in the literature was a case where you know this sixty six year old gentleman had taken two doses of Pfizer. Five months later, develops a very aggressive T cell lymphoma. And the doctors do PET scan imaging and and, and you know as a, as a as a baseline before chemotherapy and and they're going to give him chemotherapy, and they say, well, you're going to be you know immunosuppressed, so we have to give you the booster shot, not realizing that the first two doses of Pfizer may have caused his lymphoma to begin with, so they give him the booster shot, and a few days later he gets massive swelling in his neck, feels extremely sick. Doctors don't know what's going on. They 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 do the PET scan all over again, um, just to see. And his cancer had spread everywhere. It, it's got it went from a few local lymph nodes in the neck, which grew you know double and triple in size, and spread to other lymph nodes throughout the body, axillary nodes, pelvic nodes, uh, and the cancer had just gone absolutely wild. Had spread throughout his body. Fortunately, they published the case. You know, they published the images of the case. But I, I think it just encapsulates that the fact that these oncologists have no idea what they're doing and they have no idea what they're dealing with, because if they're not even considering the fact that the cancer may be caused by the vaccine and they are then injecting all of their vulnerable patients, cancer patients with these mRNA vaccines, because, you know, any treatment that you're getting, you know, you might have a drop in your blood counts. So they're going to give you another shot of this experimental mRNA product that may have caused your cancer to begin with, what they're really doing is that they are harming these patients all over again. 
Uh, and this is what seems to be happening throughout North America. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in the UK. It, it, there, there's literally no acknowledgement of this phenomenon that is very real, um, these turbo cancers, and there's just absolutely no acknowledgement from the medical establishment or no concern about these aggressive cancers that are arising in thousands of young people right now. Wow. Do you, do you think um, that just sheer intimidation is enough to do this? Maybe we could pick up on that theme. We've we've got only a minute now, but um, I don't I don't usually uh, find myself somewhat overwhelmed by interviews. In fact, I don't ever remember being overwhelmed. No, you're pretty unoverwhelmable. <laughs> being overwhelmed, but I'm sitting here and I kind of know all this stuff, and um, and it's just a lot to look at. It's so tragic. And as a physician, it's so, so crazy making to try to integrate into my thinking just how corrupt the professions become. Maybe when we come back, uh, we could talk some about how could doctors have gotten into this state? Um <laughs> Because I think I'm I'm giving my own feelings because I think anybody listening to this interview right now has got to be having some of the feelings I'm having. And um, so we'll take a break now and uh, be very brief and we'll come back to one of the most important interviews of my lifetime with Dr. William Mackis, M-A-K-I-S, Canadian physician and hero. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally.
We're back with Dr. William Marcus. Um, before we go further, would you just give all the identification that you'd like to about yourself and where to find you and what anybody can do for you? Certainly. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at MacusMD, M-A-K-I-S-M-D. I'm also, uh, I write extensively on Substack and I and I provide interviews on Substack on, on an almost daily basis as well. And that's at macusmd.substack.com. So that's m-a-k-i-s-m-d.substack.com. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a free subscription or I, I also have a, a paid subscription as well. If people want to support me that way, I, I appreciate the support. Are you working anywhere in the medical community now, or is it all over for you since uh, even before COVID? No, so I've been uh, I've been in a in a forced retirement. Really, my license is still being held hostage by the Alberta College of Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, so I have not been uh, I've been locked out of my office uh, for many years now. I'm not allowed to to see my patients. Uh, if I do, I'm threatened by lawyers. I'm threatened that they will you know put security on me and have me removed. I have not been able to really um, move on to other workplaces because my license is being held hostage by the college. Uh, I've been smeared, I've been defamed. And, um, you know, I'm working right now with the wellness company with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Dr. Harvey Reich, you know, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, Dr. Mark Trozzi and and, and other amazing doctors, uh, Dr. Thorpe most recently. So that's an amazing group that I've been very fortunate to to be able to work with right now. And um, but really, that's that's the work that I'm doing is with the wellness company and th- through really my medical authorship through Substack. I'm still doing research. I'm still publishing peer-reviewed articles. Uh, I have two papers with Dr. Peter McCullough. Both are autopsy reviews of sudden deaths of of COVID vaccinated patients that we are trying to get published. One of them was suppressed by Lancet, was taken off their preprint server within 24 hours. And so I'm co-author on that. And But it's been very difficult because I cannot get a, a regular job in my field as, as either a radiologist or oncologist. Uh, I've basically become unemployable um, for my stance on on the during the COVID pandemic. Now, I assume you're not independently wealthy. No. <laughs> this is a man to support, folks. Really, I, I frankly, I'd support him ahead of us. <laughs> He's doing really good work. He's such a clear voice, and obviously a really good human being. Um, well, we've got fifteen minutes left. There are so many different places to go. Do you, do you have an idea where you would like to proceed, Doctor? Certainly, you had you had mentioned earlier that you know is this an issue of intimidation for doctors? Unfortunately, I, I, that is a component of it. Certainly, I, I think the intimidation from the um, the medical boards and in Canada, the colleges of physicians and surgeons. I believe these institutions are extremely corrupt, and and I think they are responsible for a lot of the atrocities that that we've seen throughout the pandemic. In the sense that you know they prevented doctors from treating COVID patients with early treatment, whether it was ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or any other early treatment, doctors were forbidden from doing so. Well, they faced repercussions. Uh, they were forbidden from giving vaccine exemption letters, mask exemption letters. They were persecuted if they spoke up. You know, we have a dozen or so Canadian doctors who were viciously persecuted for speaking up during the COVID pandemic, and they've been persecuted by the health authorities specifically 
you know, uh, the bodies that control the medical licenses of the doctors. But I, do, I don't think the problem is only the intimidation factor, um, because that's something that can be overcome. You know, if 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 you if you gather enough courage, you, you can overcome intimidation and you can speak up uh, and, you know, you can prepare yourself for losing everything like I did. You know, I, I had to prepare myself and my family for losing everything, uh, not only just all my colleagues and my contacts. I was stripped of my university appointments as an as an um, assistant professor in radiology and oncology. I was stripped of two university appointments. I was stripped of my hospital privileges, you know, license taken hostage. So when you do speak up, you have to be ready to lose absolutely everything, which can be catastrophic. But, you know, that's something that you, you, you can overcome and you can sort of accept that this is your fate, that this is your path. But what I'm finding is that the vast majority of the doctors actually seem to believe in this technology. They believe that it's safe and effective. They believe the propaganda. They believe that there's no danger, that there's no such thing as turbo cancers, that the mRNA, you know, cannot do damage to the immune system. Cannot. There's no such thing as spike protein circulating or the lipid nanoparticles going systemic. And and, and I believe they're, that they're that dumb at this point or in denial. They they don't even know it doesn't stay in the arm like the drug company. Well, unfortunately, I mean, that is the sense that I get, um, because otherwise, I, you know, I would, I feel that I would be seeing a lot more private communication with me. um, And I do get the occasional, you know, emails from doctors saying, look, we know, I know what's going on. I can't say anything. Please don't tell me, you know, please don't give my name. Um, But I'm seeing very little of that. So there must be a small group, but it seems the larger group uh, seems quite brainwashed into believing really the the narrative. And the narrative is that this is safe and effective and yeah. that anything outside of the safe and effective narrative is Russian disinformation and conspiracy theories. And I, you know, I, I don't understand how the vast majority of the, the medical world and, and, and doctors were really brainwashed in this, in this manner. It must've been early on. Uh, the, the propaganda must have been very heavy early on, and it's almost as if most doctors made up their mind early on and they're simply not willing to re-examine yeah. the evidence and re-examine their choices. And I think part of it, and I think where this was very clever and diabolical, was they really managed to get the doctors to promote the product themselves. And, and really not just by taking the product themselves, but giving it to their children, giving it to their families, giving it to their extended families, recommending it to all their friends, and of course, giving it to all their patients. And so, you know, if if you've managed to convince doctors to do that early on, you've basically committed them um, to defending this product and supporting this product really with the lives of their families and friends, not to mention the lives of all their patients for whom they're now responsible now that they're coming down with all these injuries and deaths, it is the doctor's responsibility who gave the shots or who recommended the shots. That's on them now. It's not on the college. It's not on, you know, it's not on Health Canada. It's, it's not on, it, it's on the doctor. The doctor should have known that the risks and the doctor should have given informed consent to their patient with all the, you know, the the risks and benefits um, told to them, which they didn't, which nobody did uh, or virtually nobody did. And so it's a it's it's really a catastrophic situation in the sense that the doctor cannot admit a mistake or or 
will not really look at any evidence contrary to a decision that they made early on, because otherwise doing so would pretty much destroy their life uh, because they are so committed. They, they got themselves so committed to this technology early on. And I think that's where a lot of doctors are stuck. I think they're stuck, even if they start suspecting that maybe maybe there is something wrong with these vaccines or maybe they don't work well or or maybe some of these deaths. I think they 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 psychologically they can't go there because it means your life is your life as you know it is over. It's much more comfortable to sort of bury your head in the sand and keep going as if nothing's happening because that's what the rest of the medical establishment is doing. And you know, you get to keep your job, you get to keep your money. And uh, and then you just hope that, you know, these injuries and deaths don't happen to you and don't happen to your family. I really can't tell because I'm not I'm not on that side. I'm, I'm not in that situation. Uh, I, I really can't imagine how I would feel if I went all in on this technology, gave it to my children, gave it to my, you know, my wife, my 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 family members, my brothers and sisters and my parents and then some of them started dying. Some of them started developing cancers. And it's all my fault. Like, I, I don't know psychologically how I would be able to handle that. I remember hearing recently, and I, I don't have the reference to hand, but someone was writing about how it was found in New Zealand that there were 11,000 healthcare workers that were given saline shots that were called COVID vaccines instead of actual COVID vaccine with the uh, with the actual mRNA material in it, uh, and I that's all I know. I didn't uh, follow through yet to determine whether these healthcare workers knew they were being given saline shots and accepted them, or whether they thought they were getting COVID vaccines and oh hey I'm fine. So of course whatever's being said about it must be. Uh, a myth rather than the truth. Uh, there have so, been a few examples in the U.S. of of facilities giving out saline to protect their doctors. Right, uh, right. That, that comes down from the top, I guess. It must yeah. the uh, one of the things I want want to just draw attention to is uh, this thing was in the planning for at least a decade, high octane. Because in, in 2010, Bill Gates declared the decade of vaccines. And that was the beginning of the public and medical brainwashing. And he did it at um, Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum. And he did it with uh, a man named Jeremy. I forget exactly his full name, who is the director Barrera. of... I yeah, think. that's it. Something like that. That's right. Um, uh, the, the largest health trust in the world, dispensing you know money for research and so on. Um, welcome trust. Welcome trust. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. And Gates quickly went to the World Health Organization and the United Nations, and so did Klaus Schwab. They quickly went to the World Health Organization. At the start of the pandemic, when um, Trump withdrew us from the World Health Organization, very rightfully, Bill Gates stepped in to up his donations to it. And it's ver the, the World Health Organization is extremely responsive to two of its top donors, Bill Gates 
and the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, these folks systematically from Rockefeller and the various foundations working with Gates and working with Schwab and so on, went about buying up influence in the agencies of the world. And uh, just one, one more little anecdote about it. The um, head of um, BARDA, which dispensed billions of dollars to the drug industry, and uh, the head of BARDA, uh, Rick Bright, uh, was the one who stood up and stopped President Trump from giving out uh, millions of doses of uh, of um, hydroxychloroquine, which would have stopped even the pandemic as it was, which was not very much of anything. Uh, Rick Bright was in with this group, being groomed for the job at BARDA, uh, going back six, seven, eight years, uh, going to uh, an organization that Bill Gates, uh, another foundation of Gates called CEPI, C-E-P-I. It's all of this, some that we've been writing about this, and a lot of it's in the book. But I mean, huge efforts. If, if you can imagine, in 2010, Bill Gates was the richest man in the world. And he had been for quite a while. And he was still at that time working with his partner, whose name I always slip on, Jinji. Um, um, Schwab? No, the... Uh, no, not what. No, the, the, sort of, yeah. The billionaire who works with him on his foundation. Buffett. Buffett. Sure. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is one of was one of three people running the foundation. And Buffett, the other was uh, Bill and his wife. And Buffett was giving billions of dollars to the Gates Foundation. Everybody in big business knew this. So when Gates comes out, richest man in the world, working with the second, third richest man in the world, working with the big foundations, in with the UN, in with who, and so on, everybody who who had tons of greed and any kind of interest in making lots of money on healthcare. Yeah, money follows Gates and Buffett. Buffett was considered an oracle, and yeah, a lot of markets and money followed him. Very few. There were very few negative stories about him at the time. So I think that's sort of the umbrella behind, or the or the evil behind what you're describing. But it is so heartbreaking to see all the docs cave in. No, but it's not a surprise when you look at history of humanity. And it's uh, completely heartbreaking to see the absolute devastation that's now littering the landscape as this unrolls, the incredible deaths, the stillborns, the elderly, the uh, the turbo cancers now, the sudden deaths. And I think and I think the way, you know, because they so successfully compromised medicine. Yeah really in 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 totality uh, in terms of the you know i was looking at and i was thinking about what medical association um what mainstream medical association has stood up against the narrative or anything in the pandemic none of them all none. of the medical associations were compromised uh whether it's the canadian medical association the american medical association the pediatric associations the obstetrical associations all of them have been compromised all of them fell in line with the narrative and unfortunately, doctors themselves caved in to the narrative. And I would I would even say doctors caved in much more than nurses, yes. much more than other first responders, um, you know, other healthcare providers. It was really the doctors 
that caved in the most, uh, that bent uh, and bowed down to the narrative the most, accepted the narrative, accepted the mandatory vaccination, where now probably over 99% of doctors are vaccinated in the US, Canada, UK, Australia. They really bought into the propaganda. They did not push back. And now they're stuck. Um, now, of course, a lot of them now are not pushing the product. So they they are they've gone silent. A lot of the the doctors who were, you know, aggressively pushing the mRNA vaccines have now gone silent. But they can't speak up. They can't, you know, stand up against it because again, it's they 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 compromise they were compromised early on it's sort of you know you you sell your soul to the devil you're not getting you're gonna you're not you're not getting your soul back you know it's not that you you, you can change your mind you know once you've made that decision uh, it almost feels like you know the vast majority of doctors will go down with with this titanic with this mrna titanic and and so that but that brings us to you know, they may have. We stopped. have a one minute left, Bill. Go ahead. Okay, so so they may up. have stopped pushing the products, but now they have to deny, you know, all the vaccine injuries and deaths. One thing I want to say is that, just to wrap up um, my thoughts, is that it seems the vaccine injuries and deaths are accelerating. They're not slowing down. People are not taking the booster shots, but the injuries and deaths are accelerating, which to me indicates that there is long term damage that these vaccines are causing. A lot of it is subclinical. There's no signs, there's no warning signs, but there's there's long-term damage, damage to the immune system, damage to various organs, you know, the heart, the brain. And I think we are seeing, we are starting to see the effects of long-term damage with the turbo cancers. And of course, you know, children are still dying from the vaccine. Pregnant women are dying. We have to stop this platform. And at the very least, protect children and pregnant women to start and then you know we could we could sort of go on from there but i think that has to be this we have to start somewhere yes. and we have to get this platform this these mrna lipid nanoparticle vaccines halted at the very least we have to protect children we have to protect pregnant women and we have to get this this platform stopped dr william Mackis, physician colleague um courageous Thank you for one of the most important interviews we've done. Folks, see that a lot of people get to hear this. This is Peter and Ginger Bregan thanking you for taking seriously these extraordinary matters. Yes. <laughs>